Uh, good morning, Liberty. Uh, my name is Aaron Reyes. I am one of the elders and pastors at Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. I think we had a few of our pastors uh, or ministers come out. I just want to say that it truly is an honor to be back here with you today. I brought my, my, uh, my family, my wife and my kids and my mom are here. Um, so it, I'm thrilled and honored to, to be proclaiming the word of God with you today. So if I would like to turn your attention today to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 28. I'll give you a second to turn there. And I, I got to say up front that uh, my voice has felt like it's been going out for like the last 48 hours. So if I have like drinking water, just bear with me, okay? Okay, Luke 21, verses 25 through 28. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This is God's word. Um, Would you please pray with me? Uh, Father, we come to you today on this, uh, this day of hope, uh, uh, reminding ourselves of your peace in our lives. Um, and even as we look at uh, a more challenging text, um, would, you, would your Holy Spirit just begin to uh, apply this in ways that we can't even imagine in our hearts? Um, and I, pr- I pray that as we look at the, just the, not just at what's going on in the text, but what's going on in, in our own lives and in our world, that you would just begin to speak joy and peace and hope in our lives, God. I pray that, you're, um, that I would simply get out of the way and let your, let your word speak and that you would do a work here that only you can do, God. And um, I just pray that you would speak to my heart as well as everybody else is here. So be with us as we look into your word. Shape us and form us more into your image. And I pray that you would equip us, God, to, to, to be disciple makers um, where you have placed us. In your name we pray, amen. Well, good morning again. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Aaron Reyes. I, I think I already said that, but um, just a little bit about me. So um, I'm, I'm a kid who grew up in the panhandle of Texas. Um, my family's originally from Canadian, Texas. My, my father, was a, he was a Baptist minister for many years in, in Canadian and in Skellytown, Texas. I don't know if anybody's heard of Skellytown. Not many people have. But uh, we, we frequent, we frequent uh, Dalhart uh, many times in my life. So it, it really is an honor to be here with you today. Um, I, get, I, I am one of the, the pastors at Redeemer Christian Church, um, but also I, I'm over our small groups. So that's, that's what I do in, um, in Amarillo and in something like Advent. Uh, I really didn't start really practicing Advent until I, I was an adult and I started walking with Jesus whenever I was an adult. So I didn't grow up in a church context that really practiced Advent. So allow, me to, allow us to talk about a little bit of what Advent is. So Advent is one of the great seasons of the church calendar that is all about waiting and preparing. What are we waiting and preparing for? Well, we are waiting and preparing for, of course, the coming of Christ at Christmas, but we're also awaiting the coming of Christ at the end of the age or at the end of time, and we see Advent as a season where we look for Jesus' arrival in our daily lives. And those are the three areas of waiting that we must be prepared in. 
the arrival of Christ at Christmas, the arrival of Christ at the end of the age, and the arrival of Christ in our daily lives. And the primary purpose of Advent is just that, it is to get you ready or to get you prepared. Um, You know, a, a good way to look at the season of Advent is to see it as the fast before the feast. And I generally think this is a really good idea because I, 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 know, I know very little people in my life that are good at waiting for stuff. You know what I mean? Like if you doubt me, like try, try driving in Amarillo right now, like in the month of December. Like it, Amarillo Christmas traffic is the worst. Like no one has any patience at all. So next time you're driving down Sansi Road, if, even if you're in Amarillo, just, just know that like that's the state of humanity most of the time. Like we, we're not very good at waiting. Um, and that's what I love about Advent is Advent teaches us how to wait for God. And being taught how to wait and how to trust in God, that is a spiritual discipline. It is a spiritual discipline that is often underappreciated. Everyone hates to wait. We hate to wait generally because we find it annoying. But then there's the type of waiting in our lives that comes that almost feels like torture. It really does. Like uh, the woman who might be waiting for important test results to come back from her doctor. Or the farmer who is, who is desperately waiting for the rains to come in a season of drought. Or a parent who is, who is waiting for the fever to finally break in their child. And that's what I love about Advent. Advent doesn't just teach us how to wait for God in the ordinary moments of our life. It does that, but it also, Advent teaches us how to wait for God in the impossible moments of our life. And the general rule of Advent is that Advent starts in the darkness. It starts in the darkness, but it steadily, week after week, grows more and more and more into the light of Christ. And uh, we're having this conversation in our home with our children. Uh, and the way we talk about Advent at home is we have an Advent wreath very similar to this one that we have on our, kitchen, on our uh, dining room table. And whenever we eat dinner, we turn all the lights off in the house and we light the candle. And on the first week of Advent, we said Advent starts in the darkness, right? And we just eat dinner with one candle lit. And every single week, we light more and more candles. We have these dimmable lights, too, that go all the way down. And week after week, they, we raise the lights a little bit more. And what is that doing in our hearts? It is teaching us and preparing us for the arrival of Christ's light in our lives. The, the closer we get to Christmas, the more our hearts begin to um, await the light of Christ breaking in into the world. And, you know, uh, and this is an important teaching, I think, because maybe for you, maybe you're somebody who feels like this year has only been darkness. Maybe that's been your experience. Maybe you feel like my entire life has been sitting and waiting in the dark, wondering if there is any hope. Well, the, uh, Advent is the great season that seeks to aim our hope towards the light of Christ. And, you know, one thing about just the Christmas season in general I can feel, I don't know if you feel it, but there's a lot of high expectations this time of the year. There's a lot of expectations for what Christmas is gonna be. A lot of us are traveling. A lot of people have family coming into town. And with that is a good thing, but it comes these high expectations. You know, I gotta have everybody in, in the house together. We gotta be behaving. We gotta get all the, all the Christmas gifts and all that. Um, my wife and I just recently rewatched the movie Christmas Vacation with um, Chevy Chase, right? And Clark Griswold, I guess you could say. And what is that movie? I, I noticed it this time rewatching it. All that movie is, is Chevy Chase's expectations for Christmas being through the roof. I mean, he wants everything to fall into a place of its own. He wants to have the perfect Christmas, right? He wants to have the perfect Christmas tree, 
the perfect lights on his house. He wants the family to get together. He wants this Christmas bonus. He wants the, the, the Christmas meal to be perfect. And we see all that movie is, is him and his expectations not being met until he finally blows up at the end of the movie. And I really do think that that's, that's pretty telling of, of this time of the year. Um, and a lot of this time of the year, it, it can, as, as exciting as it is, it can bring a lot of, of loneliness and sadness and anger in our lives. And what I would like to do is, is really allow, uh, we're trying to allow the scripture today to form our expectations for what Christmas really is about. So the perfect Christmas, if we're gonna look at, look at the world through the eyes of Jesus, the perfect Christmas necessarily doesn't look like a Hallmark movie. But the perfect Christmas really does look like God's light bursting through our darkness and showing us the way of hope. And, you know, for those of you who, you know, are already maybe exhausted from the, from the holiday season, or maybe you're just not ready for all the things that next week is going to bring, um, luckily for you today, if you look at our text, we're talking about the end of the world, right? <laughs> uh, as I said, Advent includes darkness, but I promise you we're not going to stay here. We're going to, it's going to build somewhere, but we have to talk about this. So our scripture reading today is compelling for several reasons. And before we even begin to talk about and unpack what it all means, the signs and the sun and the moon and the stars and the, the shaking of heaven and earth, allow me to set our expectations today by telling you a really quick story. This is to help you kind of maybe approach the text. So fun, fun fact about me is that um, I met my wife on an online dating website, right? And I know, I know the, I know the, 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 you know, the, the questions that people might have about that. Like, trust me, both of, both sides of our family were very concerned whenever we told them that we had met somebody online, but to many people's surprise, whenever I got on it, I met somebody. I really, and she was a real person. Like I was, for a long time, I was like, she's not a real person until we finally video, video chatted and I found out she was real. And, um, and you know, for those of you, I don't know if you're familiar with online dating at all, um, but it is exactly what you think it would be. And it's also nothing like you would think it would be. And what I mean by that is like meeting people online is, it's pretty easy. You can meet anybody online, but getting to know people online is pretty challenging. Uh, I, you know, my wife is originally from the country of Puerto Rico. And I don't know if you know this, but Amarillo is very far away from the country of Puerto Rico. You can't just get in your car and drive to, to Puerto Rico, right? So this meant that we had to build an entire relationship just by communication. We saw each other probably three times before we got married. And we just built this relationship on talking every night through video chat. And that was a blessing in disguise, but that meant that we talked a lot. We talked a lot. And, you know... Um, you know that thing when you're dating somebody and you really want to impress the person that you're dating? And so you might embellish your knowledge just a little bit to try to make yourself feel more, you know, um, you know like you're, you're, you're qualified to, to be married to, you know what I mean? Uh, and what, one thing about dating is that dating always feels like I was on like a, this never-ending job interview, <laughs> you know, hoping that, hoping that I get the job. And one thing that I did whenever I was dating my wife, Betty, was, um, you know, I would, I would always try to impress her. I would always try to impress her. If you, if you got to know her, you would know that my wife is a lot more impressive than I am. Whenever I met her, she was this college professor. She was, she was this president of a nonprofit organization. She was really impressive, and I was not very impressive. So we would talk every night, and I would just try to, like, convince her that I was, I was worthy of, of, you know, uh, being a husband. And uh, we would talk about everything under the sun, um, we would talk about education, you know, philosophy, theology, world issues, and 
there was one time that my wife and I were discussing and she asked me a question. She goes, okay, so what do you think, what, what should the Christian's approach be to something like, like euthanasia? What, what is a Christian's approach to that? Very controversial subject. What are your thoughts on euthanasia? And I looked at my, my you know, would-be wife and I said, you know what? This is a very important issue. First of all, we have got to figure out what is going on with all these kids in Asia? Like, what's going on? Like, every single year we hear, we hear, you know, there's youth in Asia and something's going on. We need to be sending missionaries. We need to be doing something, right? And my wife just looked at me and nodded and smiled because I had, I had given myself away. She was talking about something completely different <laughs> than what I was talking about. I shouldn't have said anything and I should have just said, you know what, I don't even know what that is. You should, you know, why don't you tell me? But I was too prideful to say that. Um, and the reason, thankfully she still married me. The reason I tell you that silly, silly story is because when it comes to the text that we just read earlier, it is very often misunderstood. It is very often incorrectly interpreted and if we miss the main point of what Jesus is actually trying to say, you know, we could be sending missionaries to Asia or something, right? Like we can miss, we could really, it has huge significance and consequences for our life. So let's try not to be like me this morning. <laughs> um, look, I've heard all different sorts of interpretations on this text. Um, there's, and a lot of them, a lot of them I've found have, have been right on. Some of them have been like a little off. Uh, and a lot of them are just like wildly, wildly just, um, irresponsible, I would say. But I want to make the argument today that our gospel reading that we're in today, although very animated and on the surface kind of a little terrifying, is actually, it's actually all about producing hope in your life. That's the aim of Jesus's heart when he's talking here. He wants to, he wants to get us hopeful for, for the end, right? And, um, and he does not want us to live in fear. And to help us paint a better picture of this passage, it would be good to know not only the location that this takes place, which is the Mount of Olives, which is a, a place that holds a giant significance in scripture, um, but also it's important to know the time that this conversation takes place. This discourse that we're covering today, it actually happens on a Tuesday. It is the Tuesday of Holy Week, or the week leading up to Easter. And to remind us of what happened on that week, we must remember that on the previous, so this is a Tuesday, the previous Sunday, Jesus is gonna be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, right, as, as people line the streets of the town and they grab their, uh, you know, their palm leaves and they're waving palm leaves at Jesus and they're screaming things at him like, you know, hail to the king, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you know, uh, and they're really excited. So that's on Sunday, on Monday, Jesus is gonna go into the temple and he's gonna like, he's gonna chase people out of church with a whip because they're, they're profiting off of the things of God. And he, he drives out the money changers, that's on Monday. On Tuesday, Jesus is gonna have this conversation that we're talking about today. On Wednesday, not much happens. On Thursday, Jesus is gonna gather his friends together He's gonna have a meal. It's the, it's the first Lord's Supper that we, we see in the New Testament. And then he's going to wash his disciples' feet and he's gonna give them a new command. He's gonna give them a new law to love one another as he has loved us. So that's Thursday. On Friday, we're gonna see that Jesus is going to be uh, betrayed by his friends. He's gonna be arrested. He's gonna be falsely accused. He's gonna to be tortured and he's gonna be made to carry his own execution device up a hill 
outside the streets of the town and he's gonna be viciously murdered, right? So that's important because this timeline of Jesus' final week, it really does provide the context for understanding the significance of these verses. Our text today is one of the last conversations that Jesus is gonna have before he is murdered. And you know, this small passage is, is actually part of a larger piece of Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 21, which is often referred to as the Olivet Discourse. And the thing to know about Luke chapter 21 is that out of everything that Jesus said, out of everything that he did that made him so famous, you know, uh, healing people, you know, talking about the kingdom of God, and out of everything that made him so hated by the religious establishment of the day, the words that Jesus speaks in this chapter are like undoubtedly the words that get Jesus killed. It was a lot of things that did Jesus in in the end, but it was, this was like the nail in the coffin. This was the conversation that things started to change. Um, so what Jesus has to say in this chapter, it is so provocative. It is so alarming to the religious establishment that they, they felt like they had no other choice after they had this conversation than, okay, we gotta take this guy out. He's a, he is a real danger to us. And just in this chapter, just to give us a heads up or an idea of the significance of Jesus' words here, Jesus is gonna prophesy in this set of scriptures about the downfall of Jerusalem. He's gonna prophesy about the destruction of the Jewish temple, which meant that the very presence of God would be inaccessible. And not only this, but Jesus also foretells of the exile of God's people around the world. And he's gonna also talk about other numerous, you know, um, world-shaking natural disasters that ultimately culminate in Jesus coming back from heaven to rescue the people of God, okay? So to us on this side of the cross, on what we know, that's like yes and amen. Like that's, that's everything that we believe, right? That Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna save us. But if this, just imagine for a second that you are somebody who, um, who lives in Jerusalem at the time and you're, you're in the presence of Jesus hearing this guy that you've only heard about. You don't really know who Jesus is that much. And you're somebody who, let's say you go to temple often. Maybe you're somebody who's a little bit skeptical about this Jesus guy. That's a lot. That's a lot to take in. Like imagine if there was some famous YouTube prophet or somebody who comes to Dalhart and he comes into this church and he, he stands up here and says, you know what, Liberty Baptist, this is a really nice church you got here. It'd be a shame if it all came crumbling down. As a matter of fact, it is. The city of Dalhart's gonna fall. The people of Dalhart are gonna be exiled across the world, right? And, and also, you're gonna feel heaven and earth shake in a very, very real way. But don't worry, when all that starts to happen, just know that me, the self-proclaimed YouTube prophet, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna make things right. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. For those in the audience that day, that would have been like hearing your entire world be turned upside down. And if you keep reading on to chapter 22, what you're gonna find is the first thing that people do after hearing Jesus speak these words is they try to figure out how to kill him. And look, I cannot even begin to explain how complicated this text is to interpret. There are many different views of what Jesus' words mean here. Um, some of those views, like I said before, that some of them are really great, some of them are a little far-fetched, and, and a lot of them are just silly. But look, I, I do think that there should be room in Christendom, in the church, for you know, differing interpretations 
of uh, what we'd like to call eschatological views or how we think the end times are gonna play out. Uh, like I'm not, what I'm not here to do is I'm not here to give that to you. That is, that is the job of your elders to shepherd you in that way. Um, but if you press me, I have my own uh, interpretations on this. But as, as our pastor, uh, David Ritchie has often said in Amarillo, he goes, there are many, many different views of how we can approach the end times. We may not all agree on all those views, but the thing that we must agree on as Christians, the thing we must come into agreement on is that Jesus is coming back. Amen. He is coming back. He's coming back to make all things new. Everything that is crooked in this world, he's gonna come make it right. Everything that has been broken, he's going to fix. Every injustice that's ever happened to you on a small scale or a large scale, Jesus is gonna come to judge the living and the dead. He's coming to, to join heaven and earth together forever. We have to agree on that. Now, how it happens, all that stuff, that's up to your elders to, to really help shepherd you on. But that's the thing that we have to agree on. So therefore, the big takeaway from this text is not necessarily how things are gonna happen or even when things are gonna happen. Instead, the more significant takeaway from this text is the attitude that one must have, the heart that one must have when one sees the signs that Jesus is talking about. And I think that's, that's the more important point that Jesus is trying to convey here. Our focus when reading this text is not to be afraid. Do not be afraid of what tomorrow might bring or what, you know, uh, or, or be occupied with how the signs might play out in our lives. The focus of this text is to be ready. It is to be ready and it is to be hopeful because Jesus is in our lives now. We have the gospel, right? We have Jesus came and he died. He rose again. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He sent us a helper. He's with us now. And therein lies the thesis of the third Sunday of Advent and the only point that we have for this sermon. We only have one point today and that's it. Do not be afraid. Jesus is coming. That's two points. But really it's one point, right? Jesus is coming. Do not be afraid. He's coming to drown out the darkness of the world. He's coming to drown out the darkness in your life. And as we sit and as we wait in the darkness, we can choose to be two groups of people, Jesus lays out here. We can be a people who choose to be fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world, or we can be a people who choose to stand up and look up because we know that our redemption is drawing near. We know that our redemption is about to arrive. When the weight of all the brokenness of the world begins to threaten to drown out the light of Jesus in our lives, that is the time. That is the time that Jesus is most near to us. Despite what we might experience and what our hearts might believe about the darkness that surrounds us, the promise of Christmas, the promise of the incarnation, the promise of Jesus' second coming, and the promise of Jesus supplying our daily bread. That is the great hope of Advent. That is the great hope of the Christian life. And like many spiritual disciplines, choosing to be a people of hope and joy, this takes practice, does it not? It does take practice. It is far too easy to be a, a cynical people. It is far too easy to be led by our anxiety of what is happening around us. 
And if we are to live a wise life, we must prepare ourselves. We must prepare ourselves for Jesus' coming. But the question we must ask, and this is important, the question we must ask is not, um, the question we must ask is, rather, how do we prepare for Jesus' coming without pushing the panic button? You know what I mean by that? So in these verses, Jesus speaks of great disaster and disorder. He speaks of an astronomical shakeup. He even says that people will be fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. Like imagine that. Imagine one minute you're, you're having a steak at the Woodfire Grill. Is that still a restaurant here, the Woodfire Grill? Imagine you're eating a steak at the Woodfire Grill and, and the next moment the person next to you faints into their mashed potatoes because something that they saw on the news that morning that just scared them to death. You know, um, when we read this text, the question must be asked, what are we to make of all these distressing images? What are we to make of them? Are we to take our Bibles in one hand and our newspapers, our news articles, and our NASA reports and in the other hand and just like start winding up the doomsday clock? Is that the, the prescription in this text? I don't think it is. Like, but it, look, I, I understand though. Is as it, I, was, I was writing this sermon, it's hard not to think about our world today, is it not? It's, I mean, it's all we can think about. Israel, Palestine, Ukraine, Russia, growing inflation. It's all overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And in our social media age, it's hard not to be constantly anxious all the time. If something bad happens anywhere in the world, you can look at it on your phone. You probably have updates as you're leaving this church from whatever news article that you, that you like to, to, to read. And all that to say, it seems like an understandable time for people to be fainting with fear. Um, but is that the, the prescription that we are to live by as Christians? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, are we to live in anxiety that every catastrophic event that occurs or some, you know, could occur means the end of the world? Um, I mean, after all, this, this, this text is kind of about like interpreting the seasons around us. But it... Um, and here's, I just, the answer is no. <laughs> we are not to be a people of fear. Absolutely not. But it does feel like there is this temptation in Christendom, in the, in the church sometimes, to, to almost look at every cat, catastrophic event that happens in the world and point to it and say, look, okay, here it is. You know, um, there, look, there's probably a podcast being recorded right now or a book being written that'll, that'll come out next year that says, here are 10 reasons that Jesus is absolutely coming back on February 14th of 2024, right? Um, and to reiterate our main point, Jesus is much more interested. He's much more interested with creating hope for his return than he ever is about creating panic or creating a timeline for his return. In the book of Matthew, Jesus himself, he rejects the question of setting a date for his return. This is in Matthew 24, uh, verse 36. He says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. So as understandable as it, as it is to be alarmed in the world, of, uh, maybe it's a comet or a ne the next pandemic or a natural disaster or a world war, we need to know, we need to know in our hearts, that living with a doomsday phobia is not part of our Christian calling. There is a difference between being prepared for Jesus' arrival 
and then feeling anxious about Jesus' arrival. Those are two different things. The good thing about Advent is Advent teaches us how to be prepared without having to push the panic button. The wisdom of living with the end in mind is to bear a faithful witness that Christ is coming again. And that is what the people of Dalhart need the most. That is what the people of Amarillo need the most. That is what the world needs the most, is the people of God not stirring up panic, but the people of God pointing to the one who can fix all things, the one that we were made for, the one that is coming again. And there's a way to do that with a posture of anxiety, and there's a way to do that with a posture of hope. The wisdom, that is the wisdom of living with the end in mind. Panic can only produce fear. Panic can only produce fear. But the gospel produces an ever-present hope and joy. A joy that we can tap into right now. A joy, and joy and happiness are not the same things, by the way. Happiness is, is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Joy, on the other hand, comes from the Lord. And like the tree that, 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 whose leaves wither in the winter, its roots are so deep into the streams of living water that it survives. That is what the Christian is. And as people of West Texas, we know what, that, what that's like, right? Lord bless the person who planted the first tree here, right? But if, you're, if your roots are deep enough, you can survive anywhere, especially if they're going towards the stream of living water. That is what we have access to in this world. No matter how dark things are around us, our roots are so deep in the truth of God, in the reality of God, then we can survive. We can survive. So which people will we choose to be? We can be a people of panic or we can be a people of hope. And look, how we think the world is going to end, that largely affects how we live our life today. It largely affects how we live our life today. Likewise, how we perceive the end times greatly affects our discipleship in the church. If Christians are, are known as people who are constantly living out of fear and panic then we simply fail to be ambassadors of Christ. We are, as Christians, we are a past, a present, and a future people. Even though we, you know, there, there, there is a, the time is clicking, uh, ticking on, on our lives, yet because we belong to the church, we are a part, part of a body of believers that, that comes across millennia. We are a past and present and future people because our God is eternal. He is not bound by what we perceive as time. So my, the one question I might ask you today is, what are the things that maybe feed your anxiety? Especially during this season. What are the things that just poured into you? Maybe it's 24-hour news. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's, you know, um, water cooler talk at work. Whatever it is, that's when, this is a very practical way for us to, to determine, like, is, is, this the, is this the voice of the Lord or is this the voice of the enemy, Right? who's constantly speaking words of destruction and doom over us, um, the word of God, the words of Christ, again, fill us with hope and help us be more prepared. And look, I have to tell myself this all the time. As somebody who's been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, which I do have, I always have to ask myself, like, am I a person who is paralyzed by fear of disaster, if I am all the time and it controls my emotions, it controls my choices that I make in life, then there is some part of the gospel that I'm failing to believe. And that is the truth. So my, my and the, the scriptures 
prescription to me is to, to repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. And the good news of the gospel is that when Jesus came, the incarnation, why it's so amazing, why Christmas is such a big deal, is because Jesus, because God became man, that means that Jesus knows how scary it is to walk in our shoes. He knows. He knows what battling sickness looks like. He knows what losing loved ones looks like. He knows what it means to be surrounded by darkness. But he's also God, right? And he has shown us the way. He is our light. He is the light in our darkness. We need to desperately be reminded that yes, waiting for Jesus can be scary, but the good news of Christmas is that we don't have to wait in the dark without light. And isn't that such good news? When there is darkness all around us, Jesus says, I'm your light. There's nowhere you can go that you're not gonna, you're not gonna feel the warmth of my light. And the light of Jesus shines in our darkness and our darkness, and this is good news too, whatever darkness you might be walking in this year or in your entire life, that darkness will never be swallowed up. It will never swallow up the light of Christ. Amen. It will never swallow up the light of Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. As the Bible says, he came to bring peace on earth. Peace on earth and peace to our troubled hearts. And that's just not like high theology talk of like a concept of peace on earth. He actually means that, a world where there's no more war. A world where there's no more injustice. A world where there's no more disease. Where our bodies don't war against us anymore. Where there, there's no such thing anymore as organized crime or anything, anything that's in the bad category of life, that's gonna be gone. There will be peace on earth when the king of kings comes. That's something that we actually believe as Christians. Some days, although it does look like the darkness is winning, does it not? Some days it does. Some days the darkness is all that we can see. But it's good to know that before the darkness ever existed, before the foundations of the earth ever existed, before there was such a thing as a dark, the light of Christ was eternally shining. Eternally shining. So, the appeal in our text today is to look to Jesus himself. And that is what we are doing. That is what this church, uh, I've heard word of, continues to do so well, is to point us to Jesus. Because Jesus is our redemption. And my challenge to us today is that when terrible things start to go down in the world on a cosmic scale, or simply things begin to break apart in your own life, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your, your children, you know, perhaps it's your job, our calling is to look up and say, Jesus, are you near? And to, and to await his coming in our life, his daily arrival in our life, to see the light of Christ and to run to it. And we do this not just as individuals, but we do this as a community. That is why coming to church, participating in the life of the church is so important. It keeps us closer to the light. Allow your heart to hope, to hope for his return. And you know, for a lot of people, that might be a big ask, a very big ask, because a lot of people go their entire lives guarding their heart from ever truly hoping in anything, because you know what it feels like to have your hopes crushed. So maybe some people walk their entire life saying, you know what, my expectations aren't going to be too high, I'm just going to guard my heart, because if I guard my heart, then I'll never be let down, right? But as the people of God, we are a people of hope. We should expect that God is going to arrive, that he's going to show up. 
What's that famous proverb, Proverb 13, which says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We know what that feels like. We know what hope being deferred feels like. But the re- what is the rest of that proverb? Hope deferred makes the heart sick, yet um, a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. We are a people of eternal life. We are awaiting eternal life. We are awaiting the kingdom of God to come here on earth as it is in heaven. So allow your heart to hope this Advent season. And lastly, before we end, I'm gonna take a drink of water. I just wanna point something out that's unique. You know, if we're telling the story of Jesus and Advent is about preparing for Christmas, then it's interesting that we're looking at a text that talks about the end of the world, right? <laughs> um, and that, that's interesting. It, but if I'm telling you a story, any great story, wouldn't it be considered a spoiler if I told you the end of the story first? Right? Like if you've never seen the movie Rocky, for instance, with Rocky Balboa, Sylvester Stallone, wouldn't it be considered a spoiler? I'm making a lot of movie references this morning. I'm very sorry. But wouldn't it be considered a spoiler if I told you that at the end of the movie Rocky, Rocky loses, right? If you didn't know that, I'm very sorry. That movie was made in 1976, I think. Um, we tell the end of the story first during the season of Advent because in order to make sense of the past and to live in the present with hope for the future, it requires us to know the end of our story first. It really does. As God's people, we have been told the end of our story. We know how our story is gonna end, don't we? We know how our story is gonna end. However, this is not just some Disney fairy tale. It's not. And Jesus is not just some YouTube prophet. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We know how our story ends. The story that we are telling, our story, it ends with Jesus descending on the clouds to bring heaven down to earth, to save his people, to save you, to save me. And I don't know about you, but that gives me hope this Advent season. It really does. It gives me joy this Advent season. Jesus calls us to be a people of confidence and joy. And that is my challenge to us this Advent season. Jesus is a man of his word. Jesus is not a liar. He's not a liar. The light is here and the light is coming. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The only question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Some of us may not be ready. Some of us hear of Jesus is returning and you know, you're like, you know what? Like, if he comes, I get it. Like, Jesus is coming back as a concept. That's great. But you know what? I kind of like my life. You know, like, I love... My 401k is growing. Uh, my, I'm about to hit retirement. You know, maybe you're like me and you, your, your kids are in a really fun season of life. You want to see them grow up. Maybe you want to see your grandkids grow up. Maybe you're here and you, you want to get married someday. You want to graduate high school. You want to go to college, start a family. All those are good things. Awaiting the return of Christ doesn't cancel out our desires. What it does, awaiting the return of Christ, it actually fulfills all of our desires. And Jesus coming, trust me, We were made for that. We were made to be with him forever. That is the hope that lies in our hearts. That is what these candles are about. That is what, that's why Christ died on the cross. He got involved in our mess to save us, to reconcile us to God so he can adopt us into his family and so that we could be with him and abide with him forever. That is is what we look forward to as the people of God. So my challenge to us today is to be a people of hope. The hope is coming and it's also here. We have access to it now. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.
Father, I pray that you would remind us of who we are as your people, that although we sit in the darkness, we feel the darkness all around us, we are overwhelmed by the darkness. We remind ourselves that we belong to the light. We belong to Jesus breaking into our reality and giving us hope today, giving us joy today, giving us peace today. So as we wait in between your first coming and your second coming, train us, God, teach us. Let this church, as, as, as we're doing in our church in Amarillo, teach your people how to be a people of hope, how to prepare for your coming without pressing the panic button. And I pray that that would bleed, not just as a theological concept, but I pray that that would bleed into our lives for how we love one another, for how we love the people of Dalhart, for how we you know, uh, reach out to those just as you reached out to us, as we love others in our community the way you have loved us. Let us be hopeful about our neighbors. Let us be hopeful about the future of our community. Let us be hopeful about the future of this church. Let us be hopeful about the future of your church, God. So as we await, as we go into the, the, the week leading up to Christmas, we know there's gonna be a lot of um, anxious hearts, there's gonna be a lot of restless hearts, a lot of angry hearts, a lot of lonely hearts. Would you comfort us in a way that only you can? And I pray for this church, that this church would be a light, a light in the darkness. Would this, would this church glow so brightly with your gospel for what your son Jesus has done that people would be attracted to it and they would come here? Not just because they wanna build a brand of a church, but because we have a light worth believing in. We have a hope worth believing in. So that's, that's my prayer for this church. Um, we love you, God. Be with us. In your name we pray, amen.